I'm Paul Irwin and welcome to the Pros.com podcast, where we discuss everything translation and interpreting related, including how to get new clients, areas of specialization, technical skills, software localization, machine translation, diversification, and more. Pros.com, helping freelance translators and interpreters succeed. This is episode 47. I'm Paul Irwin and today I'll be talking to Gabriella Lemoine about translator do's and don'ts. That'll be coming up in just a second. First of all, what's going on on the training platform? Well, fearless direct client marketing, marketing mastery for experienced translators, voiceover, translating ambition into action and introduction to audiovisual translation. Travel Studio 2021 getting started, how to deal with perfection and imposter syndrome, legal English for Italian translators and how to become a successful editor and proofreader are just some of the courses and workshops currently available on the platform. That's training.pros.com. Without further ado, let's get straight into the interview with Gabriela. Gabriela Lemoine is the CEO of Accentus Language Services and of Hispano Language Advisory, a company she founded in 2006 to provide translation and desktop publishing services. Ms. Lemoine earned a degree in translation at the University of Córdoba, Argentina, holds an MBA and is a Chartered Institute of Linguists CIOL Fellow and Chartered Linguist in the UK. She's also certified by the American Translators Association in the US. She served as the first president of the Argentine Association of Language Services as Secretary at the Association of Language Companies in the US and is an advisory board member at the American Chamber of Commerce in Cordoba, Argentina. She's very active in local and international trade associations. She is a popular presenter on business and technical topics appealing to linguists and SME owners, both in her home country and abroad. She also volunteers at several entrepreneurship and empowerment nonprofit organizations. Gabriella, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about some translator do's and don'ts in just a minute. But first of all, please let us in a little bit in terms of your background, your history in the industry. Where did it all start for you, Gabriella? Well, I started uh, too many years ago, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, I became a translator, let's say, uh, out of chances because I didn't really know what to do. You know, I grew up in Argentina and when you're 17 and you have to pick a course for five years and then out of uni, try and get a job. I had no clue what to do, but I I knew I had a talent for languages. I felt, well, I was very good at them and I felt confident. So I decided to go for what I was um, best at mm-hmm. what was easier for me. So yep. um, I went to the School of Languages and for five years I learned English and I became a translator. And at the time there were no jobs for translators. And this is pre internet, right? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's pre internet, at least home internet. And then um, I immediately after that, I went to another uni and signed up for software engineering in an attempt to invent localization. (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah. I thought, well, if my Windows isn't in Spanish, what could I do to, you know, if I I understand uh English, I thought, but it has to be in Spanish. So someone has to be doing this. I want to do that, I thought at the time. I was 22, 23 at the time. So I, but then I gave up. And then 
2002, so fast forward a few years, um, internet became available and yeah, then yeah. Uh, at home. And then I started to have translation requests from companies abroad, not in Argentina, and then into Spanish. And suddenly, so I, I had a, another job, a day job, and I was doing this as a second job. And then I realized I had a lot to do and I quit my job. And in no time, I was hiring people. And by the time I hired my second employee, I realized that was a company. So yeah, that was my yeah. first language yeah. company. Uh, it was Hispano Language Advisory. Soon after that, I created my pros.com profile. And I was still between being a freelancer myself and, and a business owner. I learned the mistakes the hard way. I learned uh, how to run a business the hard way by making many yeah. mistakes. Yeah. And then, but that became, um, eventually I became more professional in running my business. I did an MBA, so I went back to school. At the time, I had a baby, so it was tough. Uh, yeah, but yeah. it was, um, yeah, a three-year program took me five years to finish, but it was the best thing I could do for the business. So uh, the company kept growing. We had, um, at a point in time, 25 translators in staff. And then we uh, switched to not a freelance uh, agency model, but um, we the team was the same, but they worked from home. So all this yeah. remote <laughs> working from home, remote idea. We we we've been doing that for many many years. So eventually, we kept growing and we set up um, a business in the US. And but now, as of last year, I'm expanding again into the UK, which is where I am right now. And we rebranded in a way, it's easier to set up a different business. So now it's Accentus Language Services. And we'll soon probably be changing our um, information on, on PROS as well. But um, that's basically it in a nutshell. So we're going from, um, I've done every every possible job in a translation company, and then I've trained others to do that. And yeah, then yeah. I've, uh, well, right now I'm more involved in client um, relationships. So mm -hmm. I'm the one going out, getting the translation jobs for translators to, to do. Wonderful. Um, we added a desktop publishing department, an audiovisual department, localization department, interpreting as well, and some language teaching. And that's the full range of, of services that we, <laughs> wow, we do. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah, and we Fantastic. went from Spanish, yeah, yeah in uh, adding Brazilian Portuguese and then Canadian French and Caribbean French, and that's the whole bundle for the Americas. And now we're growing into Western European languages and 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 the biggest languages in the world, like Chinese, Russian, Arabic. Those are the yeah, yeah, the things okay. we're getting, uh, yeah, requests we're getting from clients. Okay. Wow. Wow. What an introduction. What do you do in your spare time? No, that's a joke. Um, okay. What, what so spare time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so um, I've, well, I've got a couple of questions, but I, that I'd really like to delve into because I mean, there's so much there. I think we could talk really about that for a, a long period of time, but there's a couple of specific questions that come to mind. So sure. the first one is, so you said that you worked a lot with, with an in-house team. Now yeah. for most translation companies and obviously for, for translators, being part of that relationship as well. Most of the time it is a freelance agency relationship. 
And I think most of the time that is because of the fluctuation in, in work, right? So if you're an agency yeah. or an LSP, you might get a big job. That big job might last three weeks. And then after that, you might not have another big job from that client for a while. So how, do you, how did you get to the point where you were managing those, those in-house translators and managing well, work, workloads and that kind of thing? It's a very interesting question because at the time we thought it was the best way to go because we were all in one office. We were at the time it was only Spanish, of course, and we were all, all in one office. It was easier to train uh, translators to to provide them with computers with the right software, the right cap- capabilities, um, a place to work. Because the number one problem, and I'm sure everyone will feel the pain when I say this, is working from home when you don't have the space to work from home. Mm, mm. Uh, So if you don't have a back room that's only an office that you can lock the door and and stay in, it's very, very difficult. So you don't realize it, but then you start not not paying attention to what you're doing or working extra time or not. So it's, it's not efficient and and to work from home unless you have the right place to do it. And we thought that we were building our team and, and helping translators better by having them all in one. But then we had other issues like, well, we were limited to the translators that were available in an area where they could travel to the office. You know, there is, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's that. So the language, of course, there's no way we could have had native English English translators, you know, in the in that team at the time. So, um, but eventually the number one thing that made us change that model was translators would get tired of, uh, they were kind of even jealous at some point of the jobs that freelancers were getting because at the same time we had freelance translators for different specialties. And like mm-hmm. you said, sometimes you get, um, even within the same company, you will get different subject matters, let's say, different topics. Sure. So when, when I say company, I mean accounts. Say, for example, imagine, I don't know, Disney. You get, you'll have, you'll have content that's directed towards children. So it's addressing yeah. children, content yeah. that's addressing marketing people, content that's addressing employees. And then there will be legal content as well. So there's a techni- it's technical in different fields, and at the same time, there are different audiences. So you need different kinds of specializations as a translator. And sometimes I would have translators that liked medical translation, and they they, they couldn't take marketing, for example. But when you're part of the staff, you're on payroll you really can't choose that much. As a company, you, those are your translators, so they should be flexible enough to get the to do the translations that are available. But then in real life, they, they really it really affected the way they were, the quality in the end, because if you're not happy translating something, the end result shows it. Yes. And that was the number one reason why we decided to change the model. And we had to develop our own tools to do that at the time, to stay communicated as a team, uh, even though we weren't working in the same office. So it was the same people at the beginning, but then that helped us build something that I like to call a community rather than working with freelance translators. So that means that we now have a very long onboarding process. But at the same time, we can offer training to translators that's for free. But it's a, it's very specific to what we do. Some of it yeah, is, of yeah. course, the usual, you know, translation tools are the ones around in the market. And, and well, we'll pick a tool that's a, the best one for our client. And sometimes our client will pick it for us. So we have to be flexible 
That's why we prefer to offer translators training in that tool instead of working with someone else if someone doesn't know how to use a specific tool. So uh, we had to create our own tools for, for that. And um, in the end, it, it took a lot of time and a lot of work, but in the end, it's, um, it's a fantastic solution because it's, by the time everyone had to go remote, uh, we were already there and it was very, very good. Brilliant, brilliant, excellent. Yeah. The other thing that intrigues me, Gabriella, is that you mentioned a desktop publishing department. So yeah. I'm interested in finding out a bit more about that. So in, in my experience, for example, um, I've been through many of these these processes. They're, they're translators who don't like to work with formatting. There are clients who mm-hmm. will accept the document um, in Word, even though it comes in a beautiful um, you know, design. There are other clients who really want a replica of mm-hmm. the whole document, um, and yet they don't provide you with an editable version to work from. So I guess I've, I've, I've kind of been through quite a few different variations of that over the years. So, so tell us a little bit about your experience in that and in particular, what led you to having a, a DTB department in your company? Well, that was exactly it, what you just said. Our clients needed uh, something uh, submitted in a specific way. Let's call it, let's imagine it's a brochure. That in its, the translation is only halfway. It's not a Word file, you know, what clients want. They want something they can print or something they can share online. And, and now with video, it's probably an extension of that as well with subtitling and dubbing. Uh, but... Um, because our clients needed that, to them it's not finished until it's ready to use. Um, and translators, it's really a completely different discipline. And it's not graphic design either. So we had to oh, train, yeah. you know, graphic designers. At the time, uh, my sister was working with me and my brother was also working with me. And she took up desktop publishing Um she was, a, she was trained as a photographer, so she knew how to use the software. And then she started exploring. Uh, it's a different discipline. It's not graphic design. Uh, yeah, but yeah. she uh, basically developed that. And then eventually it, it, it grew. You know, we, we had more designers and desktop publishers working with us. It's, it's slightly dif- more difficult to go freelance with that because you need a very expensive computers and software. So, um, but you can't ask a translator to, to take on that. Mm-hmm. It's completely uh, separate from translating. They're, they're completely different um, activities. So I wouldn't demand that of a translator. That's why we decided to go the other way and, and develop. Uh, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. And we've done desktop publishing for projects that we've not translated, for example. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. And and you find that your clients are sort of understanding of the of that of that requirement and that extra cost involved. Eventually, yeah. Eventually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eventually, yeah. take some education and um, and and just showing them, you know, uh, what. You need to put your as a sales. I'm now this is a salesperson speaking. You need to. When you're talking to clients, they just don't know what's involved in Mm. what they want. And sometimes they ask you for something, but they don't know that if they need that or they need something else. So they just don't know they need separate. And this is very common, for example, with e-learning. They won't give you 
uh, full access to the content, so then the images won't match, <laughs> or there's no proofreading after it's been compiled. And um, yeah. software localization is a bit better in that regard with the big companies having software engineers actually being localization engineers now. But with e-learning, it's also a great area. And yeah, it take, it, it eventually companies realize they need to pay attention to that. And it's separate from an actual, yeah. Yeah. Uh, from yeah. the language process of putting it in, in, putting the words in another language. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. All right, well, thank you. Thank you so much for that, Gabriela. You clearly have lots and lots of uh, experience in the industry. And so who better to talk to about do's and don'ts? Let's uh, let's jump into some do's and don'ts and start exploring some of the, the the right things to do and some of the wrong things to do. So so where would you like to start with with that, Gabriella? Well, it was it, it was one of the most interesting questions uh, that I, I got for this interview, and uh, there are many things I could say about this, but the one I want to dwell on is asking questions mm-hmm. that's a do and um i realize that at all stages in in a translator's career they they tend to refuse to ask questions and sometimes it's justified because if you ask too many questions you may feel like you're coming out as not knowing what you're doing and at the same time um, you may feel responsible for knowing something ahead of time but there's a difference between um, what you should know as a translator and what information is missing for you to do your job as a translator. So asking the right questions is definitely the way to go. Um, I could give you yeah, I mean, at what, at, what, at what part of the process are we talking about? At early yeah. on, as early as possible. I would say never stop asking questions, but please don't um, take it for granted that you'll get answers. Um, so uh, this is related as well to what to do if I don't get an answer for my question. Some, sometimes questions could be related to, let's say that it's a translation about a person and the name isn't very transparent regarding gender, but then you need to use mm-hmm. gender in your translation. Okay. Maybe you don't in the original language, but you do in the yep. translation. So yep. you have to ask that question. Even if you Google it on Facebook and find the pictures and see, if, is this a man or woman? That's not good enough because you cannot um, assume, you cannot take that for granted. So it's better to ask and be sure because it would be offensive to change someone's gender in a translation. Mm. Mm. And then, or, or even funny, you know, and you don't want to create that impression. So um, that's a sensitive question you have to ask. You can't make that assumption. Um, if this but there is that there is that fear there is that fear of of yeah being perceived as not being able to solve the problem oneself yes. or, or being annoying asking too many questions and and sort of imagining the client sitting there just thinking well I just want the job done yes it's true and in many cases you won't get answers and that's something translators can plan for you know because it's a long chain you know there's a project manager project coordinator and then you go somewhere else and maybe they never get an answer and some some clients get annoyed and some clients are probably um used to not having been asked the questions before but eventually when they've had a bad experience and they've changed companies they'll be okay taking the question. So what do you do when they don't answer a question? Well, you make an assumption then. 
and 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 that's related to some of my don'ts because my number one don't is don't make any assumptions. That means um, mm, mm. don't don't think something is one way when it could there could be different options and alternatives. So if there are different paths for something, just ask and double check, confirm what the intention is, and 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 it, that goes for textual things like for example. Uh, an expression could mean different things. It's ambiguous. It's vague. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't make assumptions and check what was the intention for that. And then um, the same goes for a situation. For example, a phone number. There's a phone number in a brochure and you're going into another language Will it, because it's going to be used in another country. So is this phone number still applicable or should we change the phone number at some point? Uh, what's the right phone number for this audience in this other country? So if you assume it's the same phone number, you're not alert, you're not anticipating an issue for the client. And so it, is, it will be even so you can make the assumption that it's still the same phone number, but you can always ask a question and just leave it open. And, and, and when you ask a question and you think you're not going to get an answer because you know this client never answers or because there's not enough time to get an answer and you're forced to make an assumption, you can always clarify to your client in the same question, what's your assumption in case there's no answer? For example, we noticed this phone number is only for US clients, but this is used, going to be used in Mexico. Um, we're keeping the same number, but Please let us know if we should change it to something else. It's just a short sentence to explain your client what you've done. It's very and, professional. Uh, it's very professional. I think. I agree. And clients like that because probably yeah. they never thought <laughs> they had to change their phone number. Um, so. Um, One thing comes to mind though. And, and that is in some cases there are many people involved and maybe you know the marketing manager thought the designer was going to change it and the designer said that's not part of my job i just paint things you know give things little colors and make it look nice but um i don't know what phone number is so there, at some point there is, there's a lot of people involved as, okay, apart from we, a translator how yeah. do we manage how do we manage the balance here so i can see it's a very professional thing to do and it's Perhaps not something that I, you know, when I used to work in this area would do frequently ask, ask questions along the way, but I would submit work with a series of questions or observations. Yes. Um, but I think, so that, so the conflict here or the, or the issue um, comes down to sort of famous per word pricing that kind of thing so so how do, how do you how do you deal with that how do you balance that as a translator being professional and and this is something that that i i struggle with and different people that i i, I talk to struggle with so if you're if you're a lawyer you sim you simply charge someone per hour and you say well actually it took me an extra half an hour and my rate is whatever and therefore it costs this mm -hmm. so now you're a, a, a translator and you have a fixed price for a document unfortunately that then drives many people into the idea of completing it as quickly as possible because if the quicker you can complete the document effectively the more that you're earning per yeah. hour right so I, I i'm just seeing a little bit of a conflict there between there you know, is some translators who might say well actually that's not really you know that's nice and that's professional and i can see that but it's not really my job to change the phone number because i'm not getting 
I'm not getting paid for that. Do you, do you see where I'm coming from? Absolutely, yes. And it's a valid way of thinking. However, uh, it's a, I think it's a personal decision how professional you want to be for the money you're being paid, right? Uh, not, not two companies are the same. Not two translators are the same. Not two end clients are the same. Mm, so mm, some mm. of them will be happy to pay a premium for someone who will alert the, them about these things. Some other companies will just want the cheapest and fastest possible under the sun. And they won't care that you don't ask the questions. So it depends who you're talking with on both sides, whether how professional you can be for what for the money you're getting. So there's clients and options and, and possi oh, endless possibilities uh, and combinations of clients versus translators. So I would say if you know your client, you'll know. And yeah. uh, if there's a kind of client that's worth worth it for you to go that extra mile, well, go for it. Because yes. as a comp on the company side, those who value that kind of detail, uh, attention to detail, responsibility, will be happy to pay uh, a premium for that. And by that, I mean a higher per word rate. You know, without getting into the whole uh, idea about that, that that's wrong and, and why, if there are more words, why should I be charging less, you know, <laughs> about to work more in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. we're not machines and commoditization of translation is a, a terrible thing. And I, I wish I had a time machine to stop it the first time it happened, you know, because it's really snowballed and we should be, um, as translators and translation companies, uh, more uh, aligned to lawyers, like you said, or um, advertisers and other kind of kinds of creative industries, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But that's another issue, and this is the world we live in, and we have these tools that, in theory, help us. Uh, but there's, like I said, all possibilities in terms of combinations of kinds of clients, kinds of translators, and kinds of expectations from from and for both. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so we've got we've got we've got questions. We've got questions in the do's list. What what else would you would you put there? Well, um, as part of the questions, I would say being proactive and anticipating issues. Um, the more experienced you are as a translator, the more issues you'll be able to anticipate. Like Next time you'll see a phone number, you'll know, you know, <laughs> yeah. you'll say, you know, or depending on the feedback you're getting as well. So uh, use that, use that for, uh, sometimes it doesn't take you a lot of time to just drop a line uh, to your project managers and say, well, um, the picture doesn't match or, <laughs> you know, the, it seems there's missing text. It makes no sense. I think there's a paragraph missing. Yep. Uh, anticipating an issue helps a lot because in the end, we're serving uh, the bar whoever is paying in the end for that translation. And I said it's a big, long chain of people. It's the chain of supplies. Sometimes a translation company or agency gets hired by a marketing company and they in turn got hired by a services company and so on. Totally. So yep. there may be many in between. Um, and you're serving the final one, even though you don't know who they are, and you probably can't get in touch with them directly. Yeah. Yeah. But they're the ones that have to be happy for the whole thing to work. And that's, I think, why uh, it's related to asking questions, but it's a bit further than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, brilliant, brilliant. And what do you think some other mistakes might be apart from not making those assumptions? What would be another another yeah, thing to avoid? Well, if you see an issue, uh, let's say it's a rush project, it's you know the day before uh, Christmas Eve, and and you really need to finish, but you see an issue, you choose to do nothing because it's not part of the scope of the project. I'd say just don't ignore it. Don't ignore potential issues. Do something about it, like dropping a line, but um, don't ignore it because um, it could be that no one else saw it and then uh, there's a real issue afterwards. The longer, you, it's, the longer it takes for an issue to be sorted, let's say the phone number example, well, maybe they've printed a million copies of that and now they have to be recorded. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's a true story. Not It wasn't phone numbers, it was money, and it was an election in the US. And it was a voter information guide. And the number was about how much money should we um, uh, borrow for this project? And they had to recall the, 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 trans, the voter information guides. Yeah, yeah. So I would say that. And, 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 and something that... Um, the more experienced you are, sometimes you tend not to uh, pay a lot of attention to it. Is um, Sometimes translators overestimate their capacity and sometimes they underestimate it. Uh, so that leads to thinking you can do something that you actually can't. And sometimes it means that um, you could have done, you could have, you could have taken more of a project, or maybe it's a new area, area, you know, specialization, and you think, well, it's going to take me a lot of time to do my research and find the right words. I'd rather reject it. Well, know yourself, I would say, so you don't overestimate yourself, especially capacity, uh, or underestimate yourself. Like, uh, I'm not familiar with the topic, I'd rather not do it. Well, if you're curious or slightly interested, I'd say give it a chance. Don't underestimate yourself. You might find something that you really like after that. And and what I've seen happen at some point, and it's related to over and underestimating, is that translators eventually could become overconfident and leave things for the last minute and thinking that, oh, because I'm familiar with the client and the topic, um, I'm, I, I'll be more productive than normal, let's say. Uh, I know I can be fast, so I start later. You know, well, don't just try. It's better if you finish sooner than if you start later, and then you need to ask for an extension. Uh, overconfidence is is a real issue, and yeah, yeah, it comes with time. But I would say uh, be aware of that. Yes, yes, that 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 overconfidence can definitely can definitely affect. Uh, affect things significantly and I think that sort of over and under confidence as well it's finding it's finding that right balance you know if someone yeah if someone if someone tells you you're amazing you're probably you're probably good <laughs> on that particular job and if someone tells you you're terrible you're probably probably wasn't as good as it could have been on that particular job but you know it, t- it tends to be somewhere in between not not quite the sort of extremes that sometimes you might, you might well, unless you're using very specific metrics and quality controls, it will be a perception, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. of yourself and of others, of others, other people's perceptions of you. But I would say the key is to know yourself, know how much you can do in a day, 
what other commitments you have, um, how much it takes. For example, when my son started to go to school, um, I completely underestimated the commute, <laughs> mm-hmm. the time yep. it would take yep. to be at the school door, at the gate, go in. It would take me an hour. That's mm-hmm. an hour in my yeah. day that I, yeah. I yeah. thought I had for work and I didn't. Yeah. So, um, But then I learned and then I, I had to adjust my productivity to the actual time I had available during that time of the year. That's the school year. Um, that's, I would say the answer to that is just know yourself. Yes. Yes. Makes a lot of sense. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant, Gabriella. Okay. Okay. Anything else you want to include in, in do's or don'ts? Any, any others you would suggest or? Um, yeah, I would, I'd like, uh, and this is my vendor manager, probably, uh, <laughs> you know, poking me in the arm saying, well, urgency, that's a good sense to have, um, things because translation for an end client is something that is not there. This, the core of what they do or what they want, they want something else. This is just an accessory, something on top of that that they have to do. So they never give you a lot of time. So mm, everything yeah. tends to be urgent for some reason in translation, and it's because it's overlooked. But at the same time, well, we know that as translators. So considering everything is urgent is a good piece of advice. Uh because you'll have, um, like I said, it's better to finish soon than being stuck with something and getting to a deadline and, and then you need to ask for an extension. So urgency and commitment as well. Well, I guess it's related, right? Um, start early rather than, and, 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 you know, make, when you start with enough time, it's, a lot easier to spot issues and the issues may get yeah. solutions, right? Uh, otherwise, if you don't spot the issues sooner, like there's a missing file. Imagine, well, in desktop publishing, usually you need to have a packet of files. So there's a missing link. The, the typical question, a link could be an image or something else. Um, there's a missing link. And without that, you can't move on. So unless you see that at the very beginning, there won't be time. And if you see that last minute, the client will say, well, you should have asked sooner. Yes. <laughs> we don't have it now. Yes. And it all goes from bad to worse, you know, when you start like that too late and there's an issue. I think so, that's happened. Yeah, I think that's happened <laughs> lots of times where yeah. people just don't look at the files until the last minute and then they realize there's a problem and then it's too late to fix it and, and yeah, creates a whole mm. bunch of problems. So, so yeah, yeah, being organized, taking time to to plan out the job and and yeah you can't really just uh, put the exact amount of time aside because it, unless you've had a good look at the documents first because you you might need to ask those questions or you might need a little bit of toing and froing or a bit of extra information so that's uh, that's yeah. tricky there and I mean another one maybe- another one that I would that I would add uh, Gabriella is when when you accept a job I always would encourage people just to get on to, get on and do it to the best of their ability. Sometimes I feel there's a sort of um, resentment sometimes with certain jobs. Oh, they, they're not paying me enough and I accepted it and I don't want to be doing it. And and I just think if you if you accept a job with a certain deadline, you need to stick to it and get it done. And then, you know, next mm-hmm. time you might think, well, I'm, I'm going to ask for a bit more money or I'm, 
If not, I'm not going to accept. But I would encourage people to be, you know, professional in in that sense. Yeah, that's what I call being proactive. And and, and I think, you know, regarding low low rates, sometimes there isn't enough budget for something. But what's the value in you not doing your best? And this is a personal uh, thought, right? Uh, if I don't show my my best, how can I expect to be recognized and be paid more? Yes, um, yes. I mean, it gives you that me. leverage for negotiation, right, negotiating yeah. f- further on in the process because it starts then with me. if you say, well, yeah. you know, I really need 30% more, I think that's reasonable. That person then has to go and find someone else who might be able to stick to your original price, but... Uh, they're now comfortable working with you. They know that you can deliver, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's like everything, you know, sometimes um, you get what you pay for, they say, you know, and it's true, um, especially on things you buy on eBay. But at the same time, in translation, which is not the same, it starts with a translator to show what they're capable of at all times. And maybe this project has a low budget, but the next one won't or will be better and um you never know so i don't think it pays to just stick to the bare minimum because it doesn't show your potential and mm, therefore mm, mm. you can't expect to to be recognized for for the quality you can deliver yeah it's, and over time you can gravitate towards those clients who are the right fit the ones who really appreciate that extra bit of work that you're putting in and pay you accordingly. Yeah, it does take time to take to get to those clients. It takes yeah. time for us as a company, a lot of time and effort. You know, lots of things you need to do for translators don't don't really realize how long it takes to get a translation job from a client. I've spoken with clients for two or three years, having conversations every month, until eventually they got us the first one hundred dollar yeah. job, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't put a money value to the hours I've put in until I got that. And then um, that doesn't get seen. It's not the translator's concern to worry about that. That's the company's concern. Um, but it's, um, it's a reality. So if at that point you don't do your best, then what image are you showing your client? Mm, mm. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Brilliant. Well, brilliant. Brilliant stuff, Gabriella. Thank you for sharing some of your your expertise there. Some really, some really great tips. Some really good things for for people to think about. So I think, um, yeah, I think we'll wrap it up there. And um, mm-hmm. I'll just leave you. I'll just leave you with a minute or two now. If there's anything else you'd like to add, and and please do include your company details and your website URL and that kind of thing as well. So, so brilliant, Gabriella. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, well, we're going to um, share with you our website address, which is uh, accentuslanguages.co.uk. This is um, our main company now. Although we still have the production office and the old branding, we are um, accepting uh, CVs and resumes from translators at that website. There's a, a careers link in there and and that leads you to an email to our vendor manager so translators that are interested in working uh, with new clients and are uh, sometimes 
someone doesn't have a lot of experience in an area, well, because we are, have the capacity to provide some training for free, if you're interested in a particular area of specialization, please write to us anyway, and and we'll take that information and 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 include you in a team along with other experienced translators so that you can um, work in, in 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 a translation job that requires experience, but at the same time you're learning as as you go. Uh, with our support in, in, and as part of the team. And experienced translators can definitely, uh, we're always interested in meeting new experienced translators for um, language editing and review. Uh, now there's a lot more of machine translation uh, involved and clients are requesting that. So I think in the end, everyone will become a reviewer, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I encourage everyone to, to get involved in that, to get some practice, because if you know what to do, what steps to do, uh, it do, it's not as cumbersome as, a, as I thought it would be at the beginning. You know, trans machine translation has evolved and it will continue to evolve. And, and we're interested in knowing uh, and translators that are interested in, in those things, in new developments. Brilliant, brilliant, wonderful. All right, Gabriella, well, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for all that uh, great advice and I uh, wish you all the very best with your company. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. All right, thanks very much. Take care, bye-bye. Thank you, you too, bye-bye. Big thank you to Gabriella. I hope you enjoyed that and also find it very useful. Find, found something in there that you can apply to your own translation business. Don't forget to check out training.pros.com. We really have got some fantastic courses and workshops available right now. So head on over to training.pros.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll be back next week. All the very best. Take care. Bye-bye.